This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, Man, it's going to be a good morning. Amen. Uh, I am going to be continuing our study in the book of Matthew. Uh, Towards the end of service today, we will celebrate communion. Uh, It's a great opportunity for us to just come together and celebrate communion together. We do it once a month. Uh, Corporate communion is something that we celebrate. Uh, We do have communion at the back for people that want to participate in communion throughout the, uh, on the other weeks of the month, but um, we're we're going to uh, participate in it together today. It's It's an opportunity for us as a community and us as a church uh, to come together and to celebrate what God is doing, uh, in not just in our church, but to celebrate his goodness, to look back and remember like the Bible teaches us to. Amen. Uh, but today I want to get into Matthew chapter number five. Uh, I believe that uh, God is speaking to us through his word, and I believe he has a word for us. Last Sunday, we actually talked about anger. Uh, and as we continued studying through Matthew chapter five, and uh, today as we continue, and then I'm going to break it up. There's so many more parts to uh, Matthew 5 that we'll be kind of venturing into and talking about. But in all of it, uh, today, I, I want to focus on three topics that we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about adultery, we'll be talking about lust, and we'll be talking about divorce. All right, that's my topic for today. Thanks for bearing with us while we got the screen back up. Sometimes we do have, uh, and, and I want to appreciate our, our media team real quick for getting that sorted out. Uh, but I'm going to be talking about adultery, lust, and divorce. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to go off the bat today uh, and, and just kind of have a disclaimer out there, all right? Quick disclaimer. For those of y'all who have the Bible app, uh, notes are on the Bible app, you could just search for Commission Church, and our notes should show up uh, on there, on your events tab, so make sure you access that. I want to make a disclaimer. Now, Sunday after Sunday, I have different people coming up to me, and they will say, Pastor, the message that you preached was for me. How did you know that you were, that, 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 that was for me, or I needed to hear that word? And oftentimes, my answer is, I didn't. All right, uh, if you could see what I'm seeing when I'm up here, or people that are up here will tell you, sometimes it's just a blur when these lights are in your face, all right, right, like Pastor Beverly, when the lights are in your face and everything is blurred, like I could see objects, I could see, I can see your faces, don't get me wrong, I can, but I am not speaking to your soul, I'm not speaking to you as a person individually because I have a message, just, I'm just preaching through the Bible. All right, and it happens that sometimes uh, God has a word in season for you and for your soul and for your heart. Uh, don't think that I'm talking to you or your story particularly this morning as I speak. Now that could be the case, and if that is the case, I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But I pray that you will listen to what God says, and after that, after we talk about the Bible and what the Bible has to talk about, the subject at hand. Maybe we will come to your story and how this could personally apply to your story. 
My second disclaimer is this. I posted this morning on Discord. If you're not on Discord, make sure you join Discord. Just meet one of our leaders here, and they will guide you as to how to get on our Discord. This morning, I just gave a disclaimer and a, and a warning to parents this morning, and I said, if you have a child under 18 that is in church this morning, I would want you to use your discretion and your uh, you know, discernment in allowing them to sit in today's service, because these, these are real conversations that need to happen inside a church. I would love for your children to listen to this conversation. But if you want to use discernment and say, I would rather have my kid outside, I respect that and I want to give you a heads up about that. Now, those two disclaimers out of the way, don't tell me I didn't tell you that. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, all right? Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to verse 27, and we'll read till verse 30. Four verses that we're going to read, 27 to 30. This is what the Bible says. You have heard that it was said. Jesus is starting the same way that he started talking about anger. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body go into hell. Can we pray? Father, would you speak to us through this word, Lord? I pray that you will allow us to learn the word, allow our hearts to be uh, open, pliable, soft, I pray, God, that we will not be distracted in our thoughts, but we will be focused on what the word teaches us this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to make a statement here real quick. Now, Jesus tells us that sexual purity isn't just about avoiding intercourse with someone who is married. That is not the entirety of this subject of sexual purity or with adultery or lust or divorce as we're going to be talking about. It goes to the heart of our attitudes towards other people. What Jesus is saying to us is that if we lustfully, if we look at people lustfully, we have already committed an indecent act in the eyes of God. I want to break this down today. What is lust, right? As the Bible, in Matthew 5, 27, Jesus starts talking about adultery. And he says, man, this is one of the commandments in the Old Testament. And he says, he's equating adultery to this, this, this lustful attitude of the heart. So it's important to kind of break down that we, we know what adultery is. It's, it's important to, to break down and say, what is lust? Now, lust is a strong sexual desire for someone. If I have to like put it together in one sentence, it's a strong you know, sexual desire for someone that turns into a desire for something from that someone. I want to be, be very clear here. We're all creatures of sexual desire. We were all created to be like that. You should control your sexual desires or you will be controlled by them. God gives us the ability God gives us the strength. The Holy Spirit directs us and guides us in beautiful ways to teach us and train us from when we're young to be able to understand that we have the discernment, we have the ability to put under control the things of the flesh. And the Bible talks, about, Paul talks to us about that in Romans and many of his other epistles. 
And what Jesus is trying to say is adultery just doesn't happen. It begins with lust. See, lust is generated typically visually. When, when we can see something or through a, through, through a sight, through an image, through an object, through an object of interest. The Bible talks to, talk to us about David. I talked about David back, in, uh, back, back last year when we were in a series. Uh, David is on this rooftop in the Bible. I'm not going to the, the verse over here, but David is on the rooftop. When all his warriors were out in the field fighting battles, he was relaxing. He was chilling. He was taking rest on, in his house. And, uh, you know, Jerusalem is on this incline. And, and he actually walks out into his rooftop with coffee in his hand. And because it's an incline, he can actually look down upon the different houses that surround him. And he sees this woman called Bathsheba bathing inside of her own home. And as he looks, the Bible says he glances. So he glances. It wasn't the glance that outdid him. It was the gaze that outdid him. So we, we got to understand how lust works and how lust eventually turns into sin and the sin is called adultery. The Bible is talking about lust and saying lust in itself is dangerous, is sin in itself. See, it was the gaze that caused David to stumble. It's in the present participle. He looked and he kept looking. I don't know how many of us can identify with this in our lives because the more and more we get into the, this idea of lust, we can compare it to our own lives, right? It wasn't a simple, ooh, right? Glance, just a glance and you're like, oh, I make a decision based on that glance. It was a, whoa, and he just kept looking. There's a difference between glance and gaze. Someone say glance and gaze. A glance is unavoidable. A gaze is avoidable. A glance is unavoidable. It happens every single day. Images are in front of us every single day. People are in front of us every single day. But gazing is a choice. Someone say gazing is a choice. In Job 31 and 1, Job actually talks about this and said, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I ogle at a girl? That's what he says. I made a covenant with my eyes. I promised my eyes. I told my eyes that this and this and this and this is something that I will not do. Some of us need a covenant with our eyes. Say, I need to make a covenant with my eyes. Because it's hard to make a covenant with God and say, oh, but God's going to forgive me. But some of us need to make covenants with our own organs in our body and say, you know, this is something that I will not do to my body. And I might just be talking about eyes here, but I'm, I'm probably talking about the heart. I'm probably talking about your stomach. I'm probably talking about your gut. I'm probably talking about your ears. I'm talking about your tongue. I'm talking about different things that we have the ability to control in your, li in your life. Job says that I made a covenant. I made a promise to my, to, to, to my eyes. And I'm not going to break that promise. See, it's the glance that leads to the gaze, if not controlled. It's the gaze that leads to getting. It's the getting that leads to adultery. What is lust? See, lust is sexual thoughts. Lust is sexual acts outside of marriage. Lust is pornography. Then, then, that then leads to sexual acts that is outside of the confines of what God directed sex to be truly, uh, to, 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 be, to, to be truly. It builds one step at a time. It's one step at a time. It doesn't just happen outrightly. It just doesn't happen all together at once. Nobody just falls into adultery or falls into sin or falls into lust altogether. Haven't you been there? I've been there plenty of times where I'm like, this is the last time I'll ever do this. 
one last time. I, I, will, I promise myself, I'll never do this again. You know the, the reason why we have 800,000 abortions a year? Those are 800,000 lives ended because of lust. Lust costs life. Lust causes families to be destroyed. Lust causes individuals to lose their, their own sense of worth, their own sense of expectation and purity in itself. Lust costs life, period. But if we as a people do not realize that we as a people are addicted to variety, so we're not going to be satisfied with monogamy, we'll always be in that place where we'll always seek pleasure outside of the normal that God has set for us. But I want some of us to understand this. See, Jesus' idea of love is countercultural. It's not what the culture dictates love to be. See, culture says fall in love. God says grow in love. He says walk in love. Culture says everything, you know, you know you're just going to fall in love. Remember, everything that falls breaks. But everything that grows becomes stronger. Countercultural ideas of love are important for us as families and individuals for us to understand, y'all. Culture says love is a feeling. God says love is a choice. Culture says, marry the person you love. God says, love the person that you marry. Culture says, man, if you find the right person, you'll be happy. But God says, be the right person and you'll be happy. Am I talking to somebody? Like, like making love does not make it love. I wanna, I'm, I'm being very honest here and I'm just going to lay it down as it is. The ability to make love does not make that love. Love isn't sex. Love is the value you place on somebody. That's the relationship that God has with his people. Anytime you look at someone to make you whole and give them, you know, and give you worth, you give them way too much power. The problem is a lot of us look at people to give us worth and give us a sense of belonging. All of us have been there. You're 15 and you get sexually awakened all of a sudden. You realize that girls exist and they're cute. We've all been there at some point in our lives. But I want to remind young people that are sitting in this place, unmarried people that are sitting in this place, here's the thing. If you're not, re you're not ready to date, if you're not ready for marriage, y'all, as much as marriage is not the solution for everything, man, uh, we, we look at culture and culture is like, oh, it's cool to date. Pastor, don't be that, don't be that guy. It's okay. No, no, no. If you're not committed and you don't understand the ramifications and the implications that come with dating and the soul ties that happen in dating and the ability for one soul and the other soul to be so enmeshed, trust me, you're not ready to date. But that's what all the cool kids in school do. I remember all the cool kids in my school, they used to date. They used to sleep around. Don't ask me where they are in life today. I hate to tell you where they are in life. I hate to tell you how many marriages they've been through, they've breezed through. I, I, I hate to tell you that. Because that's not what it's all about. And I, and I want somewhat to, someone to understand this. And if we're living in sexual immorality, it's spirit, it displeases God and we have to understand that. Like sexual sin is the worst kind of sin, not because, not because God cannot forgive it, but because you have a hard time recovering from sexual sins. 
When our soul gets so enmeshed into somebody else's soul, man, other soul sins don't involve soul, soul ties, but, but sex in itself involves soul ties. And, and I'm talking about sexual fornication in any aspect outside of marriage, outside of what God created it to be. I'm talking about your inability to be able to have godly relationships or platonic relationships without always thinking about sex. I'm, I'm, I'm actually wanting to talk to somebody today because this is about an abomination by, that, that, that God looks at it and says, this is an abomination. Like, like some of us like to be in isolation with people. And that's one of the enemy's biggest tactics is taking you into isolation. Do not ever put yourself in a place where you are alone with somebody saying, oh, I have the ability to protect myself. No, 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 it doesn't. See, isolation leads to fornication. Nobody fell into sexual sin at Applebee's. Hello? If you did, we got to pray about that. that that's, that's weird. Like nobody lost their virginity skating or bowling. That doesn't happen. Like if you came here expecting to hear a message that you can go, amen, preach, pastor, preach. This isn't that message. This is truth right here that God is asking me to preach. Are y'all okay with that? Because there's awkward silence. That's what I expected while I was praying. So I prayed extra hard today. I was back there praying in tongues. I was like, Lord, please come through in a mighty way. So you can make it awkward all you want, but I'm preaching. Is that okay? That sin happened when you were alone, when no one else was watching. You lost it when there was no accountability. Like all of us, we have great intentions. We want to walk in purity, man, but, but, but we're, not going to be do, we're not going to be able to do that as long as we're alone. Some, some of us need to have community around us. And I'm just not talking about young men, young women, unmarried men, unmarried. That's not who I'm talking to. I'm talking about married men. I'm talking about men that are in their middle ages. I'm talking about people that lack community or or, or purposefully do not want to be in part with community, do not want to be in life groups, do not want to be in small groups, do not want to want to hang out with other guys who will ask them about life issues and challenge them. That's dangerous ground to walk on. Men and women, y'all need friends. Y'all need Christian men and women that can challenge you. Oh, I don't need anybody to judge me. No, no, that's not what it is. It's allowing yourself to be held accountable. Isolation is from the devil. Someone say isolation is from the devil. Lust is what forces sex. Love initiates marriage. There's so many differences that I can give you with lust and love, but in verse 29, Jesus literally says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than it's for your whole body to be thrown into hell, and your right hand causes you to cut it off and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your arms than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow, that's extreme, pastor. That's weird, pastor. That's kind of gory, pastor. No, 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 that's the truth. Like, like Jesus is not even holding back. I know this verse is pretty hard. And yes, it was done for the sake of shock. It wasn't a, let me try to sugarcoat this as much as possible. Like, what's going to make my disciples come back tomorrow? Let me put it in such a way that it's not offensive. That I don't get canceled. No, 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 no. Jesus wasn't holding back. Am I talking, like, like, 
That's the reaction we should have to sin that separates us from God. It should be shocking. And Jesus is like, get shocked all you want. He's like, you want shock? Take shock. Some of us will take it literally, like the early church father, Oregon, castrated himself after reading this verse because he struggled with sin a lot. Okay, now I want, I want you to listen. Now, I'm not telling you to go do that. Now, that would be dumb of some people because I'll tell you in a second why. This is only figurative. Now, now the right hand was considered one of the, the, the very best. Now, to all the lefties over here, I'm not, I'm not dissing you. I'm not putting you down. That's not what it is. Some of the most smartest people I know are left-handed people. Any lefties here? Any? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Some of the smartest people. And I already know. Some of y'all raised your hands and I was like, smart, 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 smart. But back in that day and back in that culture, man, they, the right hand or, or anything you did with a right was considered to be the best or the precious. And he's like, cut it off. It could be close to you. It could be amazing. You could, you're like, but that's my best friend. But that's my, that's my boo. That's my bae. Whatever. I don't even know what they say nowadays, but I don't care how close it is, how important it is. But if that particular thing or person is causing you to sin and causing you to lust, it might be your expensive iPhone that you have no control over on what you watch. Cut it off. Go back to a flip phone. Come on. Go back to something that you have to like press and it doesn't work. Go back to that. Because obviously we don't have a control over ourselves. Y'all still with me? Yeah, like, uh, you said iPhone, I, I, you lost me there, Pastor. That emotional relationship, oh, brother, it's not physical, Pastor. I, we, haven't, we haven't crossed the line. It's just a flirtatious relationship at work. It's nothing beyond that. He knows that. I know that. Nobody else need to know that. It just makes us feel, no, 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 cut it off. You don't need to say an amen, but I said cut it off. Because it's one thing that, here's the, some of y'all like, what's the cure, Pastor? Give me the cure for lust. It's called self-control. Simply put, it's called self-control. It's confessing your sins at thought level. The moment it hits your thoughts, having accountability people around you, it could be a pastor, it could be your friends, it could be people that you trust who you could be like, man, I have this issue that I'm dealing with, I'm struggling with, L help me, lead me, guide me, rescue me, pray for me, fast for me, come right now, leave whatever you're doing, come by my side because I am about to do something that I'm going to regret. Some of us need to cut it off at thought level. Someone say thought level. Next thing you do is pray. James 5.16 tells us that. Pray, pray, pray. The third thing you got to do is repent. Repent for your sin. Repent for your thoughts. Repent for those things that are dragging you down and leading you away. And say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And then he goes to the next subject. He talks about lust and he says, now here's what adultery will take you. It takes you sometimes to this point of divorce. Now verse 31, 32 is this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I just want to be very clear as we start this conversation. Are you all ready for this? Please pay attention. Jesus is so very crystal clear and so is the Bible on the subject of commitment 
and divorce. I want to I I mention something and I want you to hear this loud and clear. God hates divorce. He does not hate the divorcee. Please listen to me loud and clear. God hates sin. He does not hate the sinner. The Bible says while we were still stuck in our sin, God loved us. Yes, can we get that out of the way? A lot of you will throw your arms up in the air. Oh, how can you separate the two? No, no you can't. Because that's what Jesus does for you and me every single day. You are loved unconditionally because you are a sinner. And God says that is the one thing that differentiates you and me. The need for me is there because of your depravity. Now, now that, that, this is something that I want to clarify. It's, it's, this is important. Now, there are people that have probably been through divorce. That are probably in their second marriage. That, that are probably going through a very hard time in their life presently. It's probably a relative or a friend that has gone through a marriage that did not end well. No matter what category you're in, I want to speak life over you this morning. Is that okay? Can you listen up for a few minutes? You know, 40, the, the, the American culture will tell you 40 to 50% of all marriages end in divorce. In 1960... The laws in the United States changed to where they said you can divorce for no fault. It's called no fault divorce. I don't think it's gone well for us as a culture. Absolutely not. Because Jesus, it's countercultural because Jesus said there's always fault. This, it doesn't matter. There should always be a reason for divorce. When Sonia and I got married, I remember that one of the initial conversations we had were hard conversations where we said we might go through hard times, we might go through tough times, we might go through arguments, we might go through situations that rock our boat, that rock our marriage, but we will never get to that point where we'll submit ourselves and go through with divorce if it is not, if it's something that we cannot reconcile. The number one reason if you ask people that go their separate ways today is irreconcilable differences. We like each other. I, I still love him. I still love her. Really? Do you? But we have unreconciled. Now, I want to get into this, right? Jesus says there's always fault. Like, there has to be fault. Like, we can be thankful that God loves us no matter what the condition of our heart is. Like, what is God's intention for marriage? God's intention for marriage has always been this, permanent on earth, exclusive to one man and one woman. And the third thing, it's illustrated to the relationship between Christ and his church. So today as we talk, as we conversate, I want us to remember these three things about the topic of divorce. Like if you ask me today, how can we bring the divorce rate to zero from 50 or 40%, brother? Here's, here's it broken down into simple biblical language. Live with another person who has a broken spirit. Know that he has a broken spirit. Know that she is a broken person and in desperate need of God's touch and God's healing in their life. Know that you have to pursue hunger and thirst for, and, and, and you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness every single day of your life. Know that if, if you want mercy, you got to be able to give mercy. Know that if you want to be forgiven, you have to extend forgiveness. Jesus started this sermon on the mount by saying, man, unless your righteousness surpasses the ones of the scribes, the holy people, it's of no vein. It's of no use. 
In verse 31 and 32 about, about divorce, Jesus is, is, is repeating that. And he's saying, man, give her a certificate of divorce. Now, if, if, you, if you go to verse 31, he says, man, give, him, give, give her a certificate. Now, I want you to hold on to that because we'll talk about that in just a second. But the best way to interpret scripture is to give you scripture. Can we study the word a little more? Deuteronomy chapter number 24. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 24. And let me give you some, some background into biblical divorce and biblical relationship issues, okay? Deuteronomy 24. Verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found someone, some indecency in her. Someone say indecency. Underline that because that's, that's, a, that's a very funny word. Indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Verse 2, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her hand and sends her out of the house and if, if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Like, this was set up in a time where sin was rampant. Like, sin was in the camp. When men actually legalized wife swapping to get around God's law of, of divorce. Saying, man, we will swap wives. Do you think that TLC program, wife swap, just happened today? No, it started back in the day. Today, they do it for the fun. Back then, it was to deviate and get around God's laws. And God's like, you think I'm foolish? You think I don't get what you're doing? But here's the thing. The men just, it was amazing because I told you to underline the word indecency. See, the, the Pharisees would write so much about how a wife can lose favor in the eyes of a man. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the people of the law just came up with stuff to say, hey man, you can do, you can divorce your wife as long as you meet this criteria, this criteria, and this criteria. Now, it was a known fact. Jews hated divorce. Right? They, they hated it. Yet in the Judaism, in Judaism, women had no rights. They, they were just considered people or objects to be owned. So there were two schools of thought over here. I want you to study this with me. Two schools of thought. One school of thought was this rabbi called Shemai, who basically was cutthroat, and he said this. He said, any sex outside of marriage where there is a witness is wrong. That is infidelity. That is indecency. That is the only thing that can lead to divorce. And then there was the other school of thought. There was this, there was a rabbi called Hillel who was the total opposite. You want to know his reasons? He said, if your wife adds too much salt in your food, divorce her. You think I'm joking? I'm not making this up. He said, if your wife burned the toast, you, you give her papers. Sure. If she talks loud, ooh, if she doesn't do laundry, if she doesn't cover her head, if she speaks to another man publicly, if she speaks ill about her husband's parents, oh, oh, come on, somebody. All the women are so quiet right now. Yeah, this was the stuff. And he said, all this stuff, like any of this stuff, go ahead, hand her some papers.
But I want to remind somebody today that in the middle of all of that, the misconstrued idea of separation and divorce over the years and over the centuries and over the miscuing of the word of God has been dictated in so many numerous ways in the scriptures. You know, the Bible actually talks about this. When we come back to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to skip a few verses that I had, but Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. See, the Pharisees are trying to get to the side, to, to, to make Jesus side with one group. So I'm going to fast forward to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I'll pause at Matthew 5 for just a second. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and says, hey, I want you to take sides. Which side, Jewish, Jewish side, are you on? Are you on Hillel or Shemai's side? And they go up to him and says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him and asked him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now I want you to watch what Jesus says. He answers and says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. He doesn't want anybody to speculate. Nowhere in the scripture are we commanded to divorce. I want you to listen very, very carefully. There is an exception and there is an expectation. Someone say exception. And then there's the expectation. And it's so important for us to, to, to actually remember the difference between these two. The exception is unfaithfulness. The exception if somebody cheats on you. The exception is infidelity. The inst and, and we can go into that and talk so much at length about that. The only exception is unfaithfulness and infidelity. And I'll talk about abuse in just a second. And the second one is expectation. But the expectation behind the exception is to be remembered. The expectation is there should be reconciliation. They have to be remain committed to the covenant. Why? Because you have to love the way Christ loves the church. But she was unfaithful. But he was unfaithful. Aren't we every single day of our lives? Aren't we in our covenant relationship with God? Aren't we as the bride of Christ constantly trying to fight this battle between right and wrong, staying committed to him or not, and yet we expect our spouses and our husbands and our wives to be perfect images of, of this, this, this perfect husband, this perfect wife that we want. People make mistakes, I understand. People sin, I understand. I have seen so many couples that have been separated, that have been divorced, that have been, that have been just torn apart in marriage because of various things that have happened in their lives. A Christian should not tolerate infidelity. It should be rebuked. It should not be slept over. It should not be swept under the rug. It has to be addressed. There has to be repentance. And the only way for somebody to come back and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and a message of hope to be instilled back into that marriage is when two people consciously say, we want to work on this together. There has to be repentance from the person that, that put his wife or her husband down and said, I am sorry. I want there to be a restoration. A Christian should not stand for abuse. If that's you, you might be a husband, you might be a wife in a home where there is abuse. I want to remind you that is not from God. Run, escape, walk away, ask for help, let the authorities know. 
But remember, there can be grace shown without you being physically present in the place. You can detach yourself and wait and say, I will hold on to this commitment. I will hold on to this covenant till I see that there is change. There is repentance. There is a true turning of the heart. And if there is, and if I've given an opportunity for my spouse, my husband, to my, for my wife to be truly repentant in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man, I will be open. I will wait to welcome this person back into my life. Not of the same old behaviors, but as a new individual, as a new person. But if there's no repentance, if there is no regret, if there's no remorse, if the eyes of God and the eyes of man, the person has not repented, God looks at you and says, I don't want you to be in a marriage like that. Nobody should stay in a marriage. And I'm, I'm talking to wives, I'm talking to husbands today. As I wrap this up, what did Moses say? Moses said, why then did Moses, they, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now this is, this, this, this is what I want you to understand. He says, Moses didn't command. Like verse, verse number eight, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. God allows it, he does not give. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't his intent from the, from the beginning. I want to, and, and, and he says, man, I, 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 he didn't command to divorce, he didn't command you to divorce her. That's, not, that's what Jesus is saying. Like if you send her away, tell her why you send her away. He said, give, someone say certificate. Now this is important. He's like, if you want to annul this marriage, if you want to bring an end, if you want to stop, if you want to say, I can't go anymore, give me your reasons. He says, this is valid. Give me your reasons. Tell her why. Tell him why. Is it because she's loud? Is it because she's nagging? Is it because he never listens? Like, write it down. Give me the list. Like, show me the certificate. Is it because he's not fun or she's not fun in the bedroom? Is it because she's gained weight or, or he's gained weight or he's let go of himself or she's let go of himself or she doesn't wear makeup? Like, write down why you're divorcing. I want to see that is what, is what Jesus is saying. Like, tell the world that. Like, tell the world that it's because you're a lustful, treacherous, oppressive, irreconcilable man. That's what the certificate was. Don't just call it quits and walk away. Because if your conscience, in all conscience, if you can say, hey, this person just you know, continues to just not listen to me, this person just continues to just nag on me, so I want a divorce... Write that and, let, and see if that's acceptable in the eyes of God. Like, what does that certificate say? Jesus is saying, man, marriage is my idea. Divorce is yours. Matthew 19 and verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was, he permitted it, he did not command it. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
But verse 10, the Bible says disciples are listening and he says, man, oh, this is, it's better to not marry then. All the young people that were listening, all the unmarried were like, oh man, Jesus, if this is too much, and a lot of unmarried people are sitting here and we're like, oh man, I don't know about all, I don't know about committing right now. I better not get married. Hashtag stay single. And Jesus, Jesus walks it right back. He's like, no, 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 that's not the, let, let. and Jesus doesn't walk it back too much. So Jesus walks it right back and he's like, hold on. Hold up before you come to any conclusions. He said, not everyone can receive this, but only those whom it is given. He says, not, this, this isn't for everyone. Not everyone can accept it. And he compares it to eunuchs. And he said, there are three kinds of eunuchs. And he says, there are these eunuchs. Go down in the scripture. And, and, and he says, uh, do I have that? Uh, verse number 12. No, you can go back to the other slide. And in verse number 12, he compares this to three groups of eunuchs, and he says, there's these eunuchs that were born that way. They, they were born in a way that they cannot reproduce. They do, not have, they do not have the ability to have the, the ability to have sexual pleasure the way that the rest of creation was made. And then, and then he's talking to this other group of eunuchs that have been, who have changed their sex or they have changed the, the way of living. They've changed, they've made choices in their life. And he's looking at all three of these groups and he's saying, man, there is a choice that you make. And, and, and the third one is, is this group that you, he looks at and says, willfully, you make that choice. You make the decision from, the, from your heart in saying, I will abstain. I will make sure that the world of pleasure is not for me because I need to control my desires. I want to remind somebody today. See, if you want an easy way out, include it in your vows. Like, I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like, include it in your vows. If you're not serious about commitment, include it in your vows. I do marriage counseling and I tell people all the time, hey, this is, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. Like, how do, you, how do you want your vows to sound? Is it the traditional, and they're like, yeah, yeah, the Christian Jesus vows. What is that? I, Oshers, take you, Sonia, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, better and for worse, riches, riches are poor, to have and to hold from this day forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, that is my, that's my commitment, that's my vow. But some of us need to include all this other stuff. Include all your conditions. Like, what are your conditions? Unless, for, in, in riches, or in, 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 in poverty, or in riches, right? In, in sickness and in health, unless you gain too much weight, unless you nag, unless you sleep with someone else, unless you raise your voice, unless you're downright mean to me. Like, include all of that in your vows. Like, I've never been to a wedding where they put an exception clause to covenant love. I've never been to a wedding like that. It's always where it's like, I am wanting to replicate the love that God has for his church. God has for me. And that love is what is called unconditional love. No conditions applied. Because the moment you start putting conditions on your love and your commitment to your partner... You start making a mockery of God. 
What should I do then? If you're in a dire point where your marriage is going through the rocks and there are so many people in this church that do that and I respect you for that, I respect Christians that can stand up and say, we have issues, can you please help us? Stop suffering in self-defeat. Stop suffering in silence. Get counseling. Call me. Call your pastor. God can restore. I want to remind somebody, hang in there. Get the help that you need. There's hope. There's no marriage that that is out of God's reach. Because if you don't believe that God can heal you, you're practically an unbeliever. I'm sorry to say that, but you're practically an unbeliever. Like I said earlier, if you've been abused, if you are going through abuse, leave, detach yourself, get safe, remove yourself physically and remain there emotionally and spiritually praying and asking God to change and work on your significant other. But stay committed till you see that change. Pray till you see that change. Fast till you see that change. You're probably sitting there and you're like, Pastor, I'm already divorced and I'm remarried. If your Christian remarriage did not come out of the product of true repentance, that remarriage is not pleasing in the eyes of God. I want to remind somebody today. God is not saying don't get remarried. I don't think God doesn't like the idea of you getting remarried. But I pray that if you came out of an adulterous affair where it was displeasing in the eyes of God, it is important to ask God for true forgiveness. Would you stand up to your feet with me today? Can I give you seven things real quick? Seven things. Married folk, people that are not married, this list is for you. People that are young, people that are going to be dating at some point in your life, this message is for you. People that are married, you might be 10 years married, 15 years married. Amy and David just celebrated, what, eight years? Wow, congratulations, guys. Marriage is beautiful, y'all. It's hard. It's hard, but it's so fruitful. But here's how you can protect your covenant. Here's how you can protect your heart. You ready for this? I'm going to give you this and we'll close. Here's how you can protect your covenant. Give me that last list, guys. Point number one is this. You protect your marriage by making sure you don't start anything. Remember that pull is hard. It is really hard to resist. But remind yourself to not start anything that you cannot stop in a godly manner. Do not start a conversation. Do not start that email thread. Do not start that DM. Do not slide into anybody's DMs. Do not go and talk to a person that you have feelings over. If it is a feeling, if it is an emotion, squash it. Start addressing it at its root. Do not allow it to go any further. Do not start anything that you're not supposed to start. It just That's basic, right? It's like, oh, that's understood. Yeah, but, but, but. Unfortunately, we get to places that we shouldn't get to because we start stuff. And then you go to listen to your spouse's advice. 
You remember when you felt like your spouse was nagging you and telling you and she was over controlling and telling you that she's not comfortable you talking to that other woman? When your husband told you that he's not comfortable with you hanging out with that man or talking to that man or he felt uncomfortable with the way that man touched you or spoke to you or looked at you and you dismissed it and you said, you're just jealous, get over yourself. Sometimes it's important to listen to your spouse because that person loves you more than anybody in this world. The third thing, tell on the other person. If there's somebody trying to slide into your DMs, you let your spouse know who that person is. Every text I get into my phone that says, hey, how's it going? Anybody get spam messages in their phone nowadays? I don't know. I'm like, who are you, man? Like, or woman, like I, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like it was a while ago, I was preaching about, uh, I think David, and remember I shared the screenshot, I, I, I tried to find it today, I couldn't, but it was a screenshot of this woman that just messaged and was like, hey, how's it going? It was a central picture of her. And I looked at Sonia and I was like, hey, look at this. Somebody's interested in me. <laughs> I could see the rage in her eyes, but that's the first, I tell, I tell on whoever, I don't care who you are. I'm like, first of all, if you get, ask my wife, I'm not an interesting person. I don't know how she puts up with me, but man, you're not going to get with me. Like, 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 have you seen who I got? She, she's hot. She's beautiful. But tell on the other person. I don't care who it is. You could lose that friendship for all you know. You may be going to the same church. And it might be the fact that you, you might not ever be in the same friends group again and you're scared tell on the other person. Y'all not liking this. Next one. Don't spend time alone with the opposite sex. Is that plain? Black and white? I don't need to get into Fifth one. Drink from your own spring. Stop going to other people's grass and water your own grass. Oh, it's too dry, Pastor. What are you doing to make sure that it comes back? Are you fertilizing your garden? Are you making sure that you put that weed in feed? Are you weeding out the things that you don't need? And are you feeding the things that you want to see grow? But all we want is to go into grass that's on the other side. And you're like, oh, that looks better. Next. Remind yourself that you will get something. <laughs> that you will get caught. You will get caught. Remind yourself that you will get caught. If you think in your wildest, I'm going to get away with this. You probably did once. Remember sin catches up with you. And if you were somebody that got away with it once, confess your sin. That's the right thing to do in the eyes of God. Go to your partner, go to your spouse, confess your sin before the Lord. And the last thing is this. Remind yourself of all that you will lose. I tell myself that every single day. The amount that I have to lose because of 
one text, one message, one person that I respond to in a way that is unbecoming of who I am as a father, as a son, as a husband, as a pastor, as a brother. Y'all, I have so much that God has blessed me with that every single day I ask, Lord, what did you see in me? Yet he looks at me and says, I trust you to steward this. Every part of this. And that means saying no to people, to things that want you, that need you that pull you to its direction. As we approach the Lord's table today, if you do not receive communion as you walked in, if you raise up your hand, somebody will run to you with communion. Just raise up your hand and keep it raised till someone brings it to you, please. I have an extra one. If you did not receive communion, raise up your hand and keep it raised, please. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says this, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He took up the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Y'all, this is beautiful, y'all. Like, we get to enjoy this, but Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Like, I can't think of another Sunday befitting of this moment where we get to enjoy Christ's brokenness for the life that he wants to give us. I want to remind somebody today that in your brokenness, Jesus loves you. The biggest lie that the enemy can tell you is that you've, you're too far down the road. There's no coming back. There is no place that he won't chase after you, y'all. There is no sin that he will not come crawling after you to pull you out of no matter what your sin is. Remind yourself that God looked at Adam and Eve. They were hiding sin and everything. And gee, God still showed up in the garden. And he said, where are you? It wasn't Adam and Eve coming after God. It was God coming after Adam and Eve even after they fell and they sinned. There was no place that God from His holiness was not able or willing to crawl into, to embrace and to say, you are still loved. And today, I don't know what sin it is. I don't know what you have to tackle. I don't know what it is that you have to deal with. But today, I want to remind you of the body and the blood when Jesus took the bread he broke it and he said this is my body in a few hours I'm going to die on the cross and my body's going to be given up every ounce of my blood is going to flow but these two things are what I am going to offer and give so that you will have a place with me you can be seated with me You know, I'm reminded every single time I take communion of this young boy in the middle of the famine in Ireland in the 19th century. As the famine took its last stages, people were just leaving the country and in one of the ships there, was, there were people that just got onto the ship and 
as they left the port in Ireland and as they started sailing away there's this little boy that couldn't get on the ship but he snuck in and got into some of the stowaways hiding away and and the story has it to where the sink start, the, the ship started sinking it hit something it started sinking and as people saw that the ship was sinking there was uproar and people were trying to escape and lifeboats were released and people started jumping on lifeboats and everybody was accounted for that was accounted when people onboarded the ship but but people didn't know that there was still a young boy that was stowed away because he wasn't accounted for as the lifeboats were pulling away the last lifeboat pulled away the captain loaded up his entire lifeboat and he was the last person in the ship and as they were pulling away he looked back and as he looked back he saw the silhouette of this little boy crawling from under his stowaway into the sight and wondering where everybody was this captain could not help but hear the cries of this young boy who realized the ship was going under and there was nobody around him captain made one of the most boldest decisions of turning that ship around going right back to that ship climbing on board looking at that young boy and saying go sit down on this lifeboat lowering lowering him down into the lifeboat he put that young boy into the seat that was his there were only 20 people that could sit on the lifeboat and the 20th person had to take that seat and there was only one life rest remaining the captain looked at him and said go go live your life go and escape and as that boat pulled away the lifeboat pulled away the captain looked at him and said something so beautiful something spectacular he said do not forget what has been done for you on this day thank you for listening We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.